morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Hojin, and I am one of uh, the pastors here. And I oversee our young adult ministry, and I also oversee our production team. So uh, if during the pandemic you worship with us uh, virtually, you're in theater two right now, you're, you're watching on YouTube uh, some, some point in the week. Um, yeah, and if you're interested in serving, we really do. Um, yeah, we would love to have more volunteers there, so please let me know. Uh, this morning, I have the privilege of sharing God's Word. Um, I don't know why West Coast gets Best Coast and the East Coast gets Beast Coast. It's not as good, but I grew up in New York City, um, and I love baseball. Uh, that's my number one sport now, but growing up, it was basketball. I fell in love with them. My cousin uh, taught me when I was really little. Uh, I enjoyed playing, watching games. I even had uh, trading cards, which I wish I kept because they're worth a lot of money now. Uh, and as a child, I dreamt about owning a pair of signature basketball shoes of an NBA athlete. And some of you are like, Pastor Hojin, you need to dream bigger. Um, but my parents were immigrants, and we had a little bodega in Queens. Um, and yeah, they, they worked really hard to make ends meet, raising my younger sisters and me. And I was neighbor, never able to justify um, asking for expensive basketball shoes. But it definitely didn't mean that my desire to own a pair went away. Um, have you ever wanted something so bad that everything seems to remind you of it? Everything? Um, the shoes I put on every day, there, were not, there was nothing wrong with them, but I hated them because they weren't Jordans, they weren't Kobe's. Um, some of my friends, you know, in their excitement, they would show off their shoes, and I would be so jealous inside. Uh, I would often window shop if, if I'm in the mall, going by, by, you know, like a Foot Locker or wherever, and I would just imagine being able to take whichever pairs I wanted home. How about you? Did you ever grow up wanting something so bad that everything seemed to remind you that you didn't have it? Later in my life, in my 20s, there was something else I really, really wanted. It was to get married <laughs> as soon as possible. Uh, I've been married for seven years now, and of course, hindsight is 2020. but I was a miserable, miserable single person. I had really unhealthy, unrealistic expectations, so ending my singleness was an urgent matter. It was, I needed to do that as soon as possible, and Everything reminded me that I was single. Every new dating couple that gets found out, right? All the engagements that happened, all the weddings I went to, even baby announcements were reminders that I was still single. I didn't have what I really wanted. Seeing couples who are complete strangers holding hands in the street was really frustrating. <laughs> even watching couples in movies and in TV shows, it felt like... Those made my pain of loneliness more bitter. And to make things worse, you know, all of us have friends like this. They try to encourage you, right? You might have heard some of these. Don't worry, the right person for you is out there. <laughs> it's like, in my head, I'm like, I don't care if they're out there. I want them right here. <laughs> or how about this one? How are you still single? You're such a catch. Ugh, right? <laughs> Have you ever wanted something so badly that everything seems 
to remind you of the fact that you don't have it. A lot of you might be empathizing with me about wanting to end your singleness. Maybe it's a dream of getting into a particular school. Maybe it's a job in a specific industry of work. Maybe it's a healing from an illness or a condition for yourself or someone else you know. An improvement in your financial situation, your family's financial situation. Maybe you're looking for a solution. You're really wanting a solution for a broken relationship in your life. Or for many of us, maybe you have a family member who you really want to know Jesus. There is someone in scripture who knows exactly how that feels, how it feels to want something so badly that everything seems to remind, remind you of it. And it's a woman whose name was Hannah. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, and we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1. And if you think pastors don't get nervous about reading a lot of Hebrew names, I'm telling you here, I get nervous. Verse 1, there was a certain man from Ramathayim, a Zufite from the hill of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. That's all to say this is a man of status. This is a man of pedigree. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. When, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, Penina, provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How, are, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Last week, uh, we started a sermon series called Prayers, uh, a look into the, the heart of a disciple, where we're going to be looking at specific individuals in the Bible and their prayers to God. And if you haven't heard yet, as a church, we're focusing on um, just committing to prayer, you know, uh, for several months um, as a church on Sundays and, and Thursdays at Abide particularly. Especially, it's only been two months that we've been gathering in person, and we want to discern what God might be wanting for us, as, of course, as individuals, but definitely us as a church for the future. We just went through a pretty you know, devastating, pretty wild 18 months. We don't want to assume that church will be the same going forward. And prayer is how we communicate with God. And yet, prayer is most often the, the difficult, most difficult uh, spiritual discipline for us. Many of us feel shame about prayer. And some of that comes because we've had really bad examples and uh, even bad models of prayer. And we go through seasons, and I know I do, when praying is really difficult. And there are a lot of examples of prayer in Scripture, but this morning we want to learn from Hannah uh, and her prayer request, right, for a very specific thing. So by looking at Hannah, we want to go deeper in our pray, praying life, not just our prayer life. Uh, but yeah, so t- uh, today, Hannah shows us that prayer gives us two life-giving experiences with God. In prayer, we can experience two life-giving things. Experience number one, in prayer, we can experience great freedom before God. We can experience great freedom. Hannah's prayer shows us that any and every time we pray, it's an opportunity to be freely and fully ourselves before God. Hannah goes to God in a pretty miserable state. She is in distress, and it's been years of enduring this harassment from uh, this second wife who is taunting her, essentially. And look at all the words here that might make us uncomfortable if someone were to describe our prayers in this way. Verse 10, deep anguish and weeping bitterly. Verse 15, deeply troubled and pouring out my soul. Verse 16, out of great anguish and grief. Hannah, with words and without words, she expresses the emotions from the shame uh, as, as a barren woman, the misery of being taunted by her husband's second wife. Hannah's beyond being, you know, you know, the phrase, it's okay to not be okay. She's beyond that. She feels like she is experiencing hell on earth. And she's willing to express all of this to God. For Hannah, nothing is off limits in her prayers to God, even difficult thoughts and feelings. Uh, our daughter, Sela is a, a, almost a year and a half old, and she's been in a stretch of um, throwing tantrums, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> whenever she doesn't get what she wants. Um, what's amazing is that because she's a pandemic baby, we are pretty sure she's never seen another child throw a tantrum. Uh, and believe it or not, my wife Julie and I, we don't throw tantrums. But somehow she innately knows how to throw a tantrum. There's no filtering happening uh, when Sela wants what she wants, even if it's something that she, should, she shouldn't and she can't have. Emotions just flow out. <clears throat> crying, screaming the very few words that she knows. She's protesting through her body language, even banging her head 
as she's doing it, collapsing on the ground. There's no calculating what is acceptable or not. There's no concern what other people think. You might see her do it right out there a little later. She is expressing her desire openly and honestly. And do I want her to understand that she can't get what she wants? Of course, I try to explain to her. She doesn't get it. Do I want her to find a better way to communicate with me? Of course. But do I still listen to her? And do I still love her with all of my heart? Absolutely. And if I, as a very imperfect dad, can love her that much when she is raw and and unfiltered, how much more would a perfect God want to hear anything and everything that's on our minds and in our hearts, everything that we're feeling when we're crying out to him. And I don't want to compare Hannah's prayer with a childish tantrum, but Hannah's prayer is like a child, has a childlike simplicity that I believe we need more of in our lives and in the church. Hannah expresses her sorrow and grief in a way that serves us as a reminder that God just wants us. He simply wants us as we are. He accepts us. He is ready to listen to us, even the the most unfiltered and and messy parts of our lives. In prayer, the most important thing is that we are with him. And sometimes the uh, the prayers that we hear at church from stuffy people like me are far from the type of prayer to imitate. We have unintentionally created this weird measuring stick of uh, using prayer, separating you know, spiritual elite and uh, spiritual plebs. And I've come across so many people who have like a genuine fear of praying out loud. It doesn't matter if it's uh, with one other person or a big group. They refuse to pray in, in front of others. And, uh, and oftentimes the fear is based on not wanting to say any, something wrong. Um, and I get that. But in all of my years that I've been at Cornerstone, some of the sweetest, some of the most earnest and honest prayers I have ever heard in my life have come from these individuals when they've found a way to overcome their fear because their prayers are so simple. Their prayers are so earnest and, and honest and raw. I think that's the type of prayer we need more of at Cornerstone. When we look at Hannah and her prayer, we see someone who is more concerned about being with God and being truly herself than being concerned about what other people think. Eli thought she was drunk. She's not following some sort of unwritten rules of prayer. Hannah is just freely asking God for what she wanted. And she asks for, she asks for a child. And her motives were like almost certainly mixed. It was probably godly, right? She, she wanted true, objective freedom from shame that she shouldn't have had to endure. But she probably selfishly just wanted a child as well. But that didn't keep Hannah from going to God. She didn't analyze, okay, are my motives right, wrong, good, bad? And then go to God. She just went to God and expressed herself. She told God everything she, she thought. She gave God everything she felt. Uh, this might be obvious, but I pray for any message, any sermon that I give. It can be a message for a Sunday. It could be a wedding homily. It could be a seminar. Uh, it could be a devotional. And I often ask others to, to pray for me as well. Um, 
Are my motives mixed? For sure. I want all of you to like me, think I'm smart, think I'm funny. I want you to, you know, selfishly, um, I I selfishly want you all to walk away be like, whoa, that was a good message. Um, But I also want earnestly for God to speak to each of you in whatever way he desires. I selfishly want to be known as a good preacher teacher, but I also want God to be known deeply in your hearts, even if I am forgotten even if I fade into the background. And I still remember the first prayer I lifted, my first sermon ever, and it was at Cornerstone almost 10 years ago. I prayed that I would not soil my pants. I prayed that I would not faint because I had an extreme fear of public speaking. I I prayed that I wouldn't destroy anyone's faith. Were my motives mixed? For sure. But God accepted my prayers then, and my prayers today are different, even as I prepared for this Sunday. Are my motives still mixed today? For sure. But in going to God over and over again, just being really honest with him, I believe he's shaped me. He's changed me to make my prayers more about him, less about me, my motives to be less mixed And God often changes us through our own prayers. So freedom, we can experience great freedom with God. The second experience that we can have is we can have great confidence in God. In prayer, we can experience great confidence. The only portion of Hannah's prayer that is recorded in Scripture is in verse 11. And it's her promise, it's her vow to God. And she says this, Lord Almighty, that's what she calls God, literally Yahweh of heavenly hosts or Yahweh of the heavenly armies. Hannah is not trying to flatter God in order to get what she wants. Hannah is pointing to the fact that Yahweh, the the personal name of God, God is powerful. He has the heavenly hosts. There's nothing that he cannot do. Hannah expressing her belief that God is more than able to do what she is asking for and more. She is sure of God's power. Hannah is also sure of God's track record of uh, keeping his promises. She says, if you will only look, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. The phrase remember me here is not concerned with God being forgetful as if he ever could. This request is used to ask God to keep his covenant promises. Hannah is functionally saying, God, All I need is you to, even for a brief moment, take take notice of me. I know that you will be gracious. I know that you will prove to be faithful. All I need is just one glance from you, God. And then Hannah makes this promise to God, and it's a big one. She says, no razor will ever be used. No razor will ever be used on her son's head. And this this promise, which sounds really weird, it's, it's called... Uh, or it's part of something called a Nazareth vow. And Nazarites were people who voluntarily gave themselves to the service of God. Uh, And it was often for a fixed period of time. And one of the most concrete ways to do it was to let the hair on your head just grow, never to cut it. And Nazarites typically just set themselves, uh, consecrated themselves for service for, you know, a bookended, a limited period of time, but here Hannah promises to have her son serve God for his entire life. 
Here, again, Hannah is not negotiating or bargaining with God in order to get what she wants. Hannah is so certain of God's character that she commits giving back the very thing that she so desperately wanted. Hannah's trust in God is not just lip service. It's this rooted experiential knowledge that leads to concrete action, concrete commitments. And Hannah's prayer is a challenge to us. How much confidence in God do we express in our prayers? Hannah shows us that even in grief, even in anguish, we can go to God confidently if we remember who he is and ask him to fulfill his promises to us. Um, earlier in my life, I remember uh, an older spiritual brother of mine, he used to hear me pray out loud a lot. And one time he challenged me to better balance my request to God and my commitment to God in my prayers. I know that even to this day, I overly ask God for stuff. You know, bless me, watch over me, watch over the people I love, lead me, and you know, so on. I, I do that so much that I don't pray my commitments to him, that I would praise him, that I would trust him, that I would live for him. I know a lot of times my prayer are mostly God will you prayers and very little God I will prayers. Hannah is actually the only woman in the entire Old Testament to enter God's house. She is also the only woman in the Old Testament to make a vow to God and keep it. This is not someone who has prayed for the first time here. She has experience going to God's house, experience going to God's presence. And Hannah shows us that sorrow and aching before God can coexist with confidence and hope in God. We pray to God not to get our preferred answer from him. We pray to God so that we would be with him, to talk to him, to hear from him. Sometimes uh, God says yes to our prayers. Other times he will say wait. And still other times he loves us too much to say yes and gives us a no. I wish I could tell you exactly uh, how God is answering your prayers. I wish I could tell you why God might not be answering your prayers right now. But one thing that I'm sure of, one thing that I can tell you is that we can express and experience confidence in God, even when we have these unanswered prayers for, for these things that we so badly want. We can still trust him to do what is eternally best for you and me. And we can make that commitment in our prayers. If you read the Psalms, there are so many I will statements there, and those are prayers to God. Hannah's prayer shows us that in, in prayer, in our prayers, we can experience great freedom and confidence in God. Great freedom and confidence. Hannah only shows up in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And uh, I won't read it here, but in chapter 2, Hannah lifts up another prayer, and it's often called Hannah's Song. And it's not a personal thank you message to God. It's actually big picture stuff about who God is, how powerful he is, how, um, how he will execute justice in, in, in one day, you know, one day in the future, he's going to complete everything that he promised. This is not saying, thanks, God, about the specifics of my life. She is, she is 
just exploding with these bird's eye view, panoramic view praises of who God is. One Bible commentator says that Hannah experiences a micro salvation in chapter one when when he answers her prayers. But then in chapter two, she she celebrates God's macro salvation. That in in the coming future, he's going to do everything he says he will do. And here we have to pause and, and realize that if God is good and faithful to listen to my uh, prayers and answer my requests for quote-unquote small things, then how much more will he, will he listen and answer the big things that he explicitly promises in the Bible? When we know that God is faithful in our micro-salvations, we can trust that he will be faithful in his promise of macro Salvation, And this is the good news that we need because we know too well that this world is messed up. This world is broken. And God's macro salvation is the good news that he is a God of redemptive reversals. He takes what is formerly barren, childless, and he produces life. He takes what is broken and worthless and shameful in the world's eyes and he makes them whole treasured and full of dignity, not by giving his people stuff. He does this by giving his people his very self. And we see that in Jesus Christ. God redemptively reversed Hannah's personal situation. And here, Hannah is making it known that because she experienced it personally, that God will certainly, God must, God has to redemptively reverse the things that are yet to be finished according to his word. And she wants others to join in praising him. And our, pray, our prayers today can be a celebration of God's redemptive reversal. If you've been saved, you can certainly praise God for saving you one day in the past. But you can also thank God for sustaining you during the pandemic, for the school that you're attending, the jobs that you have, where you're living right now, the clothes on, on, on your body, the food in your fridge. Those are micro-salvations. That must mean that God is good on the macro-salvation. Prayer is most often seen as this very personal experience, a one-on-one between, between you and God. But prayer at its very best is a corporate experience. When all of us have these micro-salvation experiences, we grow in our freedom and, and confidence in God. We experience God's presence and power together more and more and more and more as a spiritual family. Along uh, the west coast, best coast of the United States, redwood trees uh, can easily grow upwards of 200 feet tall. Uh, One of them actually is called the Hyperion tree, and it's almost 380 feet tall and 16 feet in diameter. I know those are just numbers, but in order to, like, go around it, it would require at least nine of me holding hands uh, to go around the whole trunk at, at its base. For most other species of trees, tree roots roughly extend about one and a half times the height of the tree. But redwoods, surprisingly, have really shallow root systems. They only go 6 to 12 feet. So you have 380 feet and at most 12 feet of roots underground. The only way redwood trees survive is by creating networks of intertwining roots, these these roots that 
that tie up together, hold on to each other, and they stay alive. Redwoods stay alive hundreds of years. The oldest known living redwood tree is over 2,200 uh, 2, years old. As we grow in our personal prayer life, we also have this opportunity to build a system of intertwining spiritual roots of prayer that hold on to one another. When my sister over there celebrates her microsalvation, an answered prayer, that testimony is not just for that sister. It's also part of mine, too. Because if God can be faithful to her, God can be faithful to me. When a brother over here experiences liberation and freedom from something, that's not just his testimony. It's also part of my testimony. Because if God is faithful there, God can be faithful to me. And if God can be faithful to me and my sister and my brother, then God can be faithful to his macro, big picture promises in the Bible to make all things right. Could you imagine if 200, 250 of us who are here at Kendall Square Cinema watching online could read or hear everyone's testimonies of God's goodness and provision, everyone's micro-salvations? These micro-salvations would build up on top of each other and we would get this greater imagination that God not just can, but that God will accomplish everything. More than ever, the family of God, especially this family, Cornerstone Church, needs your testimonies and mine. We need micro-salvation testimonies that, ex- that, that we experience all the time if we just take the time to slow down. More than ever, Cornerstone needs to pray big for macro-salvation, God's macro-salvation as we see a suffering and broken world. More than ever, the world needs to hear as many of our personal and corporate experiences of God's kindness, grace, and mercy as we go to God in prayer. The God who can redemptively reverse Hannah's pain, longing, pain and longing, can redemptively reverse the pain and longing in your life and mine. And the more we experience that together, we can anticipate and hunger for and hope in God's redemptive reversal of all things for all people as one unified family. Hannah, amazingly, will be forever known as a woman who experienced heavenly freedom and heavenly confidence in God in her prayer. Hannah will forever be proof of Yahweh who always sees us, who always answers us. And the Yahweh who invites everyone, not just his people, everyone to know him personally and powerfully through prayer. Hannah will be known for these things. And I pray that all of us here at Cornerstone will experience prayer in that way and also be known for those things. Would you join me in prayer? And more than um, listening to me pray, I think it's really important uh, this morning to spend our own time going to God and to exercise the freedom that we have in prayer, to, to exercise the confidence that we have in prayer, to experience it. Is there something in, in your life that you want really bad right now? What is the most pressing need in your life right now? Just express it to him. Don't worry about, is it good, right? 
be honest with him? Is there a place where emotions are, are strong, where you feel anguish, where you feel bitterness? There is no pretending, no posturing needed. God wants you to be free before him and express what's on your heart, what's on your mind. And as you lift that up, I also want to encourage you to experience God's life-giving confidence that you can, you can exercise right now. You don't need to know all of God's promises, even if you know one. Ask God to hear you, to see you. Ask God to remember you just like Hannah did. And consider lifting up a God, I will prayer more than a God, will you prayer. Spend some time praying. Uh, in a few moments, Pastor Danny will lead us in, in a couple more songs. And even these songs are, are prayers to God. And we just want to come before him and we want to grow in, in our praying life. Good and gracious God in, in heaven, we thank you that you love us and that you give us the, the gift of prayer. We don't need priests to, to go on our behalf into your presence, but through prayer we can spiritually go to you face to face, say everything that's on our minds and on our hearts. We can express everything to you and know with certainty that you accept us, that you love us, because Jesus Christ is proof. There's nothing you would withhold from us, God, unless you're trying to do something good or better. So I pray for my sisters and brothers here that they would be more free this week in their life of prayer, that they would feel more confident in their life of prayer, more than feeling right or good is this need to just instinctually go to you with whatever we have. We thank you for your love for us. We also thank you that prayer is the way that we will start to be better blessings to, to our neighbors and to the world. So may this church family grow in our prayer life so that we can extend your grace, your love, your kindness, your justice to as many places as possible, wherever we go this week, the months and the years ahead. And now to you, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to your great power that is at, at work within us, to you be the glory in this local church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week. Be blessed.